So we're going to turn again to God's Word, perhaps uh, predictably in the book of Revelation, um, and reading from both chapters 21 and 22. This is the, the great vision that John has uh, of the new heaven and the new earth. So let's hear God's Word. Revelation uh, 21 and beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. In verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. 
uh, just to remind you, um, my number will shortly appear on the screen and um, at the end of this uh, session there will be a, an opportunity for Q&A. Um, you can ask your questions from the floor, um, but if you want to, to text them in, um, that's totally fine as well, just at any stage. I wonder, have you ever really thought about this question? What will heaven be like? I have a friend who said to me a few years ago, John, I think you might like heaven, but I'm not sure I'm going to like it that much. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I know it's going to be amazing to see Jesus and all that, but there seems to be a lot of singing going on, and I'm not really such a great fan of singing. You know, I like, I like a good song or two, but I don't like it that much. I might get bored. That's what he said. I wonder, is that the picture of heaven that we have? Just one activity, constant praise, and even if it's worship and that is amazing, I wonder do we have a picture of heaven that's just a bit boring? I think some people do. I think one of the other prevailing pictures of heaven that people have is just essentially a place that isn't hell. You get the gospel, you get that we're sinners and, and we need a savior, we get what Jesus has done and, and so we know we need to be rescued and so we want to avoid hell. And we use the right words, we use words like peace and worship and glory, but we don't really give much thought to them. We don't know what heaven is like, but we're not too bothered because we kind of know it's going to be good. It'll all turn out okay in the end and it's definitely better than hell. So that's good enough for us. Now, some of the things I've just said about heaven are true, some aren't, but in any event, they, they certainly don't paint a particularly full biblical picture of what heaven is going to be like. This new heaven and new earth that we've read about, the, the no more tears, death, or pain, because those things have passed away. And I think one of the reasons why we find it difficult to picture heaven simply is because we're used to all of those things, as terrible as they are, we're used to them. We live with them every day. We're all aging no matter what age we are. Our bodies are all going to waste away. Sin and all its effects are, are with us every day. We can't escape them. And so we just can't imagine how amazing the world would be without them. Our bodies have to undergo a transformation, a change. Um, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, we shall be changed as we enter into that life, the life that Jesus describes as life in all its fullness. We just don't get how vile sin and all its effects are and how perfect God's creative work is. And, and that's not a criticism. How could we know those things? Nothing impure could ever enter God's new creation, we read. It's the most amazing thing. Life as it's meant to be as the creator wants it to be for us. As God intended it, without any pain, any wrong, any problem, without experiencing any badness, experiencing the intimate love of the Creator the way that He wants us to. I think if we really grasped it, we'd be shouting from the rooftops about it. If we really grasped how horrible hell is and how amazing heaven is, we would be shouting from the rooftops about both because we would want so many people to come and know Christ and enjoy what is infinitely better for them. So it's amazing, but what is it like? Well, just as a point of order, what I'm not going to talk about tonight is the place that you go when you die. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you might know why that is. 
here's the thing, if you trust in Christ and you die, well your body stays on earth and your spirit goes to depart to be with Jesus in heaven. Now that's true, but that is the intermediate state. That, that's not the final state. It's not our final destination. What I want to talk about tonight is, is beyond that, when Jesus returns with us, the new heaven and the new earth. There are a few reasons why that is the focus tonight. And one reason is that we already spent a bit of time talking about the intermediate state a few weeks ago, although we talked more about what Jesus did and why we go there rather than what it's like. But the other reason is actually we know pretty, pretty little about what the intermediate state is like. The Bible teaches very clearly that it exists and that we go there, and I hope you saw that a few weeks ago. But it tells us very little about what it actually is like. It is heaven. It's amazing, it's going to be wonderful there. Um, Jesus called it paradise to the robber beside him on the cross. Paul also calls it paradise. Um, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That's just a way of saying the highest heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So there you go, that's what the intermediate state is like, inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. So we wouldn't have a very long time together this evening if we were gonna talk about that. It's gonna be amazing, and Paul says that he would much rather depart from the body and be with the Lord. It's a place prepared for us by Jesus. In John 14, Jesus says that he goes to prepare a place for us. Many people believe it's what Paul is talking about in the next chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 when he says that we'll see our Savior face to face. It's amazing, it's paradise, it's away from the body, at home with the Lord. But what sort of existence is an existence away from the body and at home with the Lord? We don't know. Inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. But thankfully that's not our focus tonight. We're not talking about that intermediate time before Christ returns, but for the final, the final state after Christ returns. The intermediate state's wonderful, but it's not that place that we were made for. We were made to live on God's earth, and this will be the case when we live on the new earth. We believe, just to recap from a few weeks ago, that one day, we don't know when, Jesus Christ will return from heaven he will bring with him all those who have died trusting in him. And those on earth who believe in him will be caught up in the air. That's the rapture. It's not a secret rapture. It's something that's very public. There'll be a trumpet blast. The voice of the archangel will thunder. Then there'll be a resurrection. Those who've returned with Christ will be reunited with their bodies. Those who died not trusting in Christ will return from their home of silence in Hades. And they will be reunited with their bodies too. Here's how Jesus describes then what happens in John 5. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So that's the story um, so far, um, if you haven't been with us on these Sunday evenings. And we thought a few weeks ago at those who will rise to be condemned. But tonight, we want to think about those who Jesus says will rise to live. What is it like? We read about it in 1 Corinthians 15 earlier. It's a mystery. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The perishable, that's our bodies, will become clothed with the imperishable. Mortality will clothe itself with immortality. And this is a great victory over sin and death and the grave, which have all 
lost their sting, as Paul says. So what is this actually going to be like? Well, thankfully, we actually know a fair amount about it. One scholar has said that while the Bible whispers about the intermediate state, it shouts about the final state. The eternal heaven is a place that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined, but Paul says the Spirit has revealed it, and the Bible has plenty to say about it. There are plenty of things about heaven that we don't know. I won't tell you everything tonight, but there's plenty that we can know. So let's, let's lay some groundwork, first of all. The first thing is this. Heaven's going to be a lot more real than we think. It's more real than we think. Heaven is more real, and we will be more real than we often think. Because we know that in that intermediate time, our bodies and our souls are separated. And I think because of that, some people think that's what the final heaven is going to be like as well, in the new heaven and the new earth. But this isn't true. There will be a physical resurrection at the judgment, and after the judgment in the new creation, we will be physically present, flesh and blood. You'll be able to feel it. You'll be able to describe your emotions. We will physically be there. Our bodies will be changed in some way, Paul says. How they will be changed, well, we know that they'll be immortal, but how exactly that is, we don't know. Our bodies will be resurrected just like Jesus Christ's. Philippians 3.21 says that by the power that enable him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This has to be the case, otherwise Christianity kind of falls on its face because our chief claim is the resurrection, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth, lived and died, but rose again physically, flesh and blood. Otherwise, if he never came back from where he went when he died, then we would have no hope at all. He physically rose from the dead, and we will share in that physical resurrection. So in heaven, we're really, really there, not like disembodied spirits. We'll be there in our bodies. They'll be transformed in some way, but we will physically be there. And not only are our bodies physically real, but so is the new creation. We know this because the Bible says that the earth goes through the same process that our bodies do. Remember, after the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned and were um, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, when all that was wrong with this world came to be, God cursed the earth as well as humanity. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. The whole earth suffers the side effects of the fall. This earth is going to pass away in the same way that our bodies will. Jesus tells us heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The apostle Peter says the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So this earth is going to pass away. It has the same fate as we do. But that doesn't mean that this earth and this creation are going to be completely obliterated actually in the same way that we will pass away and then be restored in a new, changed, better bodies. That's what happens to the earth. It passes away, but it gets restored. Here are some words from Romans 8, which I'd, I'd never really seen in this light before. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, to sin, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom 
and glory of the children of God. The creation actually gets liberated from its bondage to decay in the same way that our bodies do, and the creation enjoys the freedom and glory, the new life of the children of God. The earth gets restored too. So this earth will pass away, but that's temporary because this earth gets renewed in a way that is eternal. So the new creation, it's a real place. If you're asking me where it is, it's right here. It's right here, it's this earth. It's not away off in the clouds somewhere. It's this earth, renewed, restored. It will be different, but it will also be familiar. We didn't read some, all the words from Revelation 21. Here's verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The numbers don't matter. The point is it's a physical place that can be measured with a measuring stick. It's not something, as I say, floating away off in the clouds somewhere. We will be there in conscious resurrected bodies. And when Revelation describes the new heaven and the new earth, it says this, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the, the Greek word for first is the word prote. And that word, if, if you think of the word prototype, maybe that, maybe that would be helpful in thinking what it means. This first earth is a prototype for the second. It's a pattern for the new one. So there'll be familiarity about the new earth. We should expect new flowers, new rocks, new trees, new mountains, new animals, in the same way that we expect new bodies. As Tim Keller has put it, God will eventually bring us not to a disembodied afterlife, but a renewed material universe with resurrected bodies. So that's the, that's the first major thing. Heaven is more real than we think. The second big thing to say about heaven is that we will see God there. Now that's probably hardly groundbreaking, but that's the most amazing thing that we could ever have to see God. Here's what Revelation 22 says. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. Now, seeing the face of God, we just, we can't even begin to scratch the surface tonight of how unthinkably, unimaginably, if I can speak, ununderstandably awesome that will be. I'm not sure if it's right to say that there'll be a best bit in heaven, but if there is, this is it. No one has ever seen God. That's what John says in his, in his um, gospel. You might be familiar with Exodus 33 where Moses sees the back of God. Um, Moses asks to see God's glory and here's what God says. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen. Now the little phrase, my back, is one that's notoriously difficult to translate. The word sort of just means what's behind, what's afterwards, or, or even backwards. Moses saw something of the residual, what was left after God was there. He saw something of God's glory, but he didn't see God. He didn't certainly see his face but we will get to. Again, this is because of the change that happens in our bodies. 
as we become holy. Hebrews 12 tells us that those who are not holy will not see the Lord. That's why in this life we are encouraged to be holy just as God is holy because that is what we're made for. None of us could see God's face today and live, but one day we will and it will be our greatest joy. Someone has said that we will likely wonder if we ever even lived before we saw his face. We will look into God's eyes and see what we've always longed to see. We might not realize that we long for it now, but to see the person who made us for their own good pleasure. We could never, ever tire of seeing God. It won't ever be boring. And this will affect how we see everything else in heaven. Uh, There's a scholar called Randy Alcorn who's uh, written extensively on the topic of heaven, and, and here's what he says about this. There will always be more to see when we look at God because of his infinite character, which can never be exhausted. We could and will spend countless millennia exploring the depths of God's being and will be no closer to seeing it all than when we first started. This is the magnificence of God and the wonder of heaven. It will never end, we'll never get tired of it. We get to see God and we get to live with him. He dwells with us. John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. No temple because everyone has access to God's presence. And it seems like God's presence is especially there in the new Jerusalem. In the same way that the Old Testament temple, well, God's presence was obviously everywhere, but he was there especially in a special way in the Holy of Holies in the temple. So that the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven is a holy of holies of sorts. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. We will be able to come physically into the holy of holies, into the new Jerusalem, to the throne of God. So heaven, it's more real than you think. We get to live with God there. But what will we actually do there? I want to suggest there are three things tonight. Um, I guess the first two are maybe quite obvious. The first thing is that we will worship. Now, I imagine that's not a surprise to anybody. We're probably used to hearing some of those words from Revelation. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Or possibly to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And and these are always words, those are both from Revelation 5, by the way, but they're always words which are sung by multitudes upon multitudes in heaven. But I want to suggest that these words are not, strictly speaking, found in the new heaven and the new earth. Those great words of praise are found, as I say, in in chapter five of Revelation. They're also found in chapter seven and other places. But all of that is before Jesus returns to earth. They're part of a vision of the current heaven, of the intermediate. Don't get me wrong, I believe we'll praise God forever. Of course we will. God is always worthy of praise and he always will be and we will give him all the honor, power and glory forever. But it's not the case, as my friend suggested to me, that we'll just sing all the time. We have other things to do, which I'll come to in a moment. We will worship, we were created to do that. We'll find no greater pleasure than when we are worshiping, when we're doing that. 
That may be in song, and other times it may be through other actions as we live an earthly life, which again I'll speak about in a moment. Not a sinful life, but an earthly life the way God intended on the new earth. Worship will, will infiltrate and will permeate our lives. We won't ever get bored with it, but we won't just stand and sing forever either. We will worship in heaven, but it mightn't be just what you think. The second thing is that we will reign with Christ. Revelation 22 and verse five says, and they will reign forever. God created humanity to rule over the earth and subdue it. Adam and Eve failed in this. But now Jesus Christ has dominion over the whole creation. And we, as his bride, the church, we will rule with him. It's significant, I think, that at the end we receive a crown of life because a crown is given to somebody who reigns. We are going to rule. It seems from the Bible, we, we don't know exactly, but it, it seems that different people will be given different responsibilities. You might be familiar in the Gospels with the disciples asking Jesus about who's going to sit on his right and on his left. Elsewhere, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but it seems to relate to our role in the new creation, how much responsibility we will be given. So we will rule in some capacity. We will be stewards and rulers over everything on the earth to God's glory. What that actually means, well, I think the only clue we get is by the presence of the tree of life. There's a sense in which the new creation is Eden all over again, Eden restored. Now, Adam and Eve, when they lived in Eden, didn't live in anything like the new creation. Perhaps if they had obeyed, they would have had the opportunity to do that, to enter glory. What we will see is, is an even better Eden, Eden in glory. But there's a significance to the fact that the tree of life is there because Adam and Eve were meant to rule over the whole earth. And so that's where we get the clue of what it will actually be like to rule with Christ. Here are some more words from Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. To try and sum it up, God's intention for humans is that we would occupy the whole earth and reign over it. What this means, I think, is that our societies will be societies that honor God in everything that we do as we live here. As we use the skills he has given us, creativity, imagination, intellect, everything he has given us, all because they're from him as we practice them and we spread his kingdom therefore on the earth and in a sense rule over it. And that brings us to, to the third and final thing that we will do in heaven. And it's a pretty big thing, but it, it's simply to be the creatures that we were intended to be. Now, that's obviously huge because that's, that's just all of life. But what it means is essentially we will do very ordinary things. We will work we will play, we will have recreation, we will laugh, we will do the very best of human activity the way it was always meant to be. And all of that will be permeated with worship. 
That will be part of us ruling on the earth as we reflect God's glory, being who we're meant to be on the earth. But we will do very ordinary things. We need to bear in mind that when, when we are resurrected, when we get new resurrection bodies, we don't become God. We become perfectly human, but we do not become gods. We don't become angels. We'll be transformed, but we will still be human, sinless human beings. So will you play golf in heaven? Will you knit in heaven? Will you bake in heaven? Will you build in heaven? I can't tell you what the activities will be exactly, but I do know that we will be fully human the way we were always meant to be. That means we'll work. Now, that work won't be maybe like work at the minute. It'll be like work before the fall because in the curse, work was made to be a a difficult thing, even a, a menial thing at times. But work will be restored. We'll enjoy it. We'll want to do it. We'll worship God through it. And the same for a host of other recreational things. We're creatures and we're designed to do those things. So we will do them, but without any of the frustrations and problems that we have in this world at the moment. I think that rules golf out because it's pretty frustrating. For those who trust in Christ, heaven the new creation, it's a glorious thing. The larger catechism says that those who belong to Jesus shall be received into heaven where they shall be fully and forever freed from all sin and misery, filled with inconceivable joys, made perfectly holy and happy, both in body and soul, in the company of innumerable saints and holy angels, but especially in the immediate vision and fruition of God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit to all eternity. And this is perfect and full communion with God. I don't know how well I have done tonight at answering the question of what will heaven be like, but I hope it has at least pointed this to you. Heaven is very real. It's a real, physical, tangible place. We will see God there which is just so mind-blowingly amazing that we could, we could never grasp this side of eternity, how amazing it is. And when we're there, we'll worship, we'll reign on the earth as we we're intended to, but that will actually look very ordinary, very earthly, very creaturely, but free from sin and blight of sorrow in God's perfect new world. A number of questions have come in, which is great. Um, just before I answer them, and hopefully my number will appear on screen in case any of you want to send any more. Um, but before I do that, I want to recommend a book. Sorry, I, I meant to get a picture of it and put it up, but I haven't done that. Um, but it's got a very simple title, which is simply Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Heaven. It's written by a man who I mentioned earlier called Randy Alcorn. Um, he has a great thick book, which is simply called Heaven. And if you're really keen, um, by all means, go for it. I don't know how many pages it is. It's hundreds upon hundreds. Um, But he has a much shorter version, which is called, as I say, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Heaven. Um, It's a really helpful book. It walks you through some of what we've done tonight. Um, It also goes to a plethora of other places. The basic format is it's a a list of questions, and what he does is he gives a a page or a couple of pages answer to each one. So you can kind of dip in and out of it. You don't have to read it from start to finish. 
and it's wide ranging. It goes from some of the stuff we've talked about tonight to what happens to my pets when they die. Will there be sex in heaven? Will we eat in heaven? Will we sleep in heaven? Will I remember um, what happened on earth when I'm in heaven? Um, some of which is reflected in, in some of the questions that have come in. Um, but it, it is questions that I wouldn't have even thought to answer in there. It's really, really comprehensive and um, I would recommend it. I don't agree with everything he says in the first section about the intermediate state, but I'll forgive him about that and I can't really criticize him because he's much smarter um, than I am. Um, so one of the things that has come in, um, which I can answer quickly, one excellent depiction of heaven, in my opinion, is in the last Narnia book. It describes it as Aslan's country. Have you read it? And if so, what do you think of it? Um, to answer the questions directly, yes, I have read it, but I was a teenager at the time and I don't really remember it, so I'm not gonna tell you what I think about it because I don't really know, but if Lewis wrote it, it was probably pretty good. Um, two questions, do we go to the new earth or the new heaven? Is there any distinction between the two? Secondly, will we be conscious of loved ones who aren't in heaven, even though it says um, there are no more tears? So I think with, with the new heaven, and the new earth. Um, where do we go? I think the answer is we go to the new earth. Um, why would God create a new earth if we weren't meant to go there, if we were just gonna be in the new heaven forever? Um, I, I think we'll be in the new earth. Um, but having said that, I think they will be joined. And, and again, I think that picture of Eden is really helpful. Um, the way that in the beginning, you know, God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, um, whatever that means exactly. But, but heaven and earth seem to be joined. Um, and in fact, when Adam and Eve were banished, then there was an angel um, with, with a burning sword sort of flashing to and forth um, so that they couldn't go back to, to kind of make that separation. Um, so I think we'll go to the, to the new earth, um, but it will be joined in some way to the new heaven. Um, again, with all that language in Revelation about God being there, about him being present, about there being no need for a temple because he's simply there. Um, so new earth, um, but, but they will be in some way joined. Will we be conscious of loved ones who aren't in heaven, even though it says no more tears? Th that taps into a number of different questions, so I will come to that, but before that I want to answer a question which somebody else has asked, um, which is essentially, will we remember our old selves? Will we remember earth? Um, and I, I would say there's probably no suggestion um, or no reason to suggest that we won't remember what happened on earth. Um, again, Jesus is our example in this. He is the one who bridged these two worlds um, and he obviously remembered everything that had happened um, on earth. In fact, the, the marks were still on his hands and feet, so he still bore some of the marks um, of being on this earth, although he might have been different in some way. Um, the disciples sometimes recognized him, they sometimes didn't. So I, I think we will um, have memory. And for that reason then, yes, we, we may be conscious um, of loved ones who aren't there. Um, and, and this is a, a very difficult one to answer. And the answer that I'm gonna give might sound a bit glib, but I, I think it's true. And I think it's that when, we're, when we see Jesus, when, when we see God face to face and, and we love him so much, and we become like him and we love whom he loves. That, that is the, the dominant feeling that we have. Um, and so I, I think we probably, it, it's probably right that we can say there will be no more tears because there'll just be a surpassing joy. Um, that's probably difficult for us to get our heads around. Um, 
when we think of maybe some of our loved ones who we're very close to um, who may not be there, but I think it's the, the best answer I can give biblically. And in fact, I'm taking that more or less straight from, from Randy Alcorn because I, I read that in his book earlier in the week and I agree with it. Um, I, I think we will be changed and transformed and even though we will remember um, the joy that we have will surpass that. Um, yeah, so that, that one of the other questions that came in, do you think that we will retain any of our memories? If we don't, it's difficult to imagine how we will be still us without our memories. Um, yes, I, I think we will. I think we will. Um, somebody has sent in a comment rather than a question, but I will read it. Um, a ministry called Wild at Heart describes heaven as a place where we use our God-given gifts to their fullest, and that sounds awesome to me. Um, that wasn't me commenting at the end, that's in the text, um, but it sounds pretty awesome to me as well. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think that's very true, that we're, we're gonna be creatures, we're gonna be the way um, we were meant to be. Does anybody else have any questions? Um, I'll keep an eye on my phone in case any more come in that way. Yes, Denise. Okay, um, so I've been asked to repeat questions in case folks can't hear. Is the new earth going to be uh, very crowded? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it, it could be um, if there are multitudes upon multitudes of people. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, God's going to have accounted for that. Um, so as I say that this earth is going to be renewed, um, and I guess if that means this earth has to be bigger than it is currently, then, then God will have that um, in hand. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think as well, we, we probably don't realize, and this is going off topic slightly, but like how the swathes of this earth as it is currently that are unoccupied by humans, there is actually so much space. And if what Revelation says about there being no sea in particular is if that's literal, um, which I think it probably is, then, then we'll probably be okay. <laughs> but I guess if it had to be bigger, God, God will have accounted for that. That's, that's my best answer, I think. Thanks, Dennis. So I, I did have um, another question, which was similar to the memory one, um, which was, will we, will we recognize one another in heaven? Will, will we know one another? And again, I mean, obviously, I, th I think we'll have memory. So I think the answer, again, is yes, because the disciples, um, when they were allowed to, they recognized Jesus after he rose from the dead. So um, I, th I think we will recognize one another. Um, sure, so the question is that in um, one of the verses I read, um, and I, I found it, it was Revelation 21 verse 16, um, it says that um, an angel measured the city 
Um, and it was 12,000 stadia in length, as wide and high as it is long. So it, it's actually as high as that as well, so it's a massive cube. Um, and and 12,000 stadia, um, the footnotes in my Bible reliably tell me that it's about 1,400 miles or about 2,200 kilometers. So then the question is, well, is that not therefore um, a limited space? Um, and yes, it is, but, but I think the response to that is, and the New Jerusalem is part of the New Earth, but it's not the whole New Earth. Um, I, I, and I think that's, that's simply it. That's the place where anyone can go. Anyone can go to, to eat from the, the tree of life. Um, it said it produced its crops, I think, something like 12 times a year, so something like it. It's plentiful. There's enough for everybody. Um, and that is a physical place where, where we can go and, and, and come before the throne of God. Um, but it's not necessarily, you know, we, we can live on the rest of the earth as well, I think. Will animals or humans procreate in heaven? Um, the short answer is we don't know, but, but Jesus said um, when he was questioned about marriage at the resurrection that people would not be given in marriage at the resurrection. So um, it's difficult to um, imagine that we would. Um, and, and I mean, if, if we did, that would bring in the whole new realm of new people who hadn't been judged or anything like that. So no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I wouldn't give a definite no, but I just don't think there's any indication in the Bible that, that it would be a yes. Um, as for animals, um, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to attempt to answer that, I don't think. Um, no, I, I can't think of any, any kind of um, justification for saying yes or no. Um, Somebody has asked me, um, aside from meeting God and Jesus, who are you most excited to meet in heaven? Um, <laughs> um, a pass, um, I'll think about it. I'll maybe tell you at the end if I think about it. Um, I mean, I, I guess like anybody, I would be really intrigued to see like past generations of my family, people I've never met, that would be really, really exciting. Um, I can think of people like my great-grandparents who I never met, but my great-grandparents on my dad's side were, were church planters. They planted a church in, in Monkstown, actually, where I'm from. Um, it was a Baptist church, but don't hold that against me. Um, and like, I, I can see their influence on the people who came after and, and therefore on me, and, and I would be really intrigued to meet them. Um, I guess there might be some famous people too, but pass, yeah. Anybody else, or shall we wrap up? I, I can't, I, I, like shout at me if I don't see you, because I am pretty blind. No, okay. Um, all right, well, before we close then, let's just join together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that even though we don't know all the answers to what heaven will be like exactly, that from what we do know, it will be a glorious place. It will be a place where we see you face to face. And Lord, we just can't imagine how wonderful that will be. But Lord, we look forward and, and we yearn for that day. So Lord, we pray that you'd help us even in the here and now. Your word tells us over and over again that as we look forward to that day, to live lives for you, to, to press on towards that place, even as we live in this place. So Lord, we pray that you would give us um, the strength and hope to do that. 
And Lord, if any of us are here tonight and are discouraged in, in our walk with you and our faith, we pray that you would use what you've sp- said through your word tonight to encourage them, um, to give them that real assurance that one day um, they will see you face to face and all sorrow and all pain and all suffering and all of whatever they're facing in this earth will be stripped away in pure joy. So Lord, we give you thanks tonight and praise you for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, in bringing us to that place and we look forward to that day in his name. Amen.